Well, this morning we are uh, going to be continuing our series, looking at these seven shaping virtues. This week we're on number four, and number four is encouragement. Our theme this morning is encouragement. And uh, I wonder if there's anyone here at all, just maybe, who ever gets discouraged. Could it be? Thank you. I read, uh, I read this, this, uh, this fictional story, and I'll just emphasize it is fictional, but I read this story in several places this week, so I'm not sure who to credit for it. But the story goes like this. One day, the devil decided to have a huge yard sale or car boot sale, and he was auctioning off his tools. On the day of the sale, a curious crowd gathered, but they soon discovered that one tool had a big not-for-sale sign attached to it. Well, one man got up his courage and he approached the devil and he asked him to explain, what does that tool do and why is it not for sale? The devil answered, I can do without many of my other tools, but not this one. It is the most useful tool I have. It is called discouragement. And with it, I can find my way into hearts that would otherwise be unreachable. When I get this tool into a person's heart, it opens the way for me to put anything else in there that I want to as well. Fear, worries, doubts, anger, hatred, lust, envy, bitterness, and despair. Now, it is just a fictional tale, of course, but it does make an important point that I'm sure many of us can relate to. Just as we saw last week that ingratitude can open the door of our hearts to all other kinds of nasty Uh, unpleasant things, so too can discouragement. And the fact is, we are all prone to discouragement in numerous ways. Sadly, being a Christian doesn't mean that we will not be discouraged. Actually, being a Christian in a fallen world, I think, can sometimes tempt us to be more discouraged as we realize how wearying it is to go on serving people, suffering hardship, and battling our remaining sin day after day after day. What we all need then, as often discouraged Christians, is a steady stream of encouragement to be continually flowing into our lives. And thankfully, what we find when we open up the Bible is that God himself recognizes our need for repeated encouragement. And he has provided for us unending and overflowing streams of encouragement to replenish our souls each day. And through us, actually, to encourage the hearts of those around us as well. So this morning, we're going to look more closely at what does God's word have to say about encouragement. And we're going to answer three questions along the way, beginning with number one, what is encouragement? What does it mean to be encouraged and to give encouragement? Well, the Greek word that gets translated as encouragement in the New Testament is paragraph. Paraclesis, I think that's how you say it. And I just share that. I don't really speak much Greek and I don't expect you speak much Greek. But I share that simply because some of you might already spot a bit of a connection there to a very similar word used to describe the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. See, they both come from the same root word that means to come alongside someone. This Holy Spirit comes alongside us. Encouragement comes alongside us. And in the case of this particular word, encouragement, it speaks of coming alongside another person in order to build them up. 
whether that's building them up by comforting them in times of suffering and grief, just as we're encouraged to do with the faint-hearted in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Whether it's building someone up by strengthening their faith and hope in God, as it says in Hebrews 6.18, It speaks of being given strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So encouragement can strengthen our faith and our hope. Or it can be building up someone by exhorting them to keep living and walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. To just keep following Christ, come what may. As in Acts 14.22 when Paul and Barnabas revisit several churches and we're told... They are strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Or in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, where Paul recalls how he once exhorted and encouraged each one of them to walk in a manner worthy of God. So to bring that all together, to receive encouragement is to be freshly instilled with three particular things, three C's. It is to be freshly instilled with comfort, confidence and courage to carry on. Comfort, confidence and courage to carry on. And it's therefore essential to the Christian life. We cannot keep going in the Christian life without a repeated supply of comfort, confidence and courage, all of which come to us through encouragement. Okay, second question, where does encouragement come from? Where can this essential, uh, life-transforming supply of comfort, confidence and courage be found? Where does it come from? It comes, first of all, from God the Father. It comes from God the Father. Romans 15 verse 5 calls God the God of endurance and encouragement which I think is just the most amazing title for God. He is the God of endurance and encouragement. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 calls him the father of mercies and God of all comfort. And that word comfort is exactly the same word that gets translated encouragement elsewhere. He's the God of all comfort, the God of all encouragement, who comforts us, Paul goes on, comforts us, present tense, it's in an ongoing way, in all our affliction. God's encouragement is ever present. It is now. And it continually flows out from the loving heart of God like a never-stopping waterfall towards his people. And very importantly as well, it is given by the Holy Spirit. As we see in Acts 9 verse 31, it speaks of the early church having peace and being built up as they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So this encouragement that comes from God the Father comes through the Spirit. And what that means is that this comfort and encouragement of God is given, it's not, it's, not just, it's not just an intellectual thing. It's not just something that's given into our minds in an intellectual way, that kind of encouragement, something just external for us to think about. No, it is far deeper and more complete a gift than that. It's a comfort of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, which is very good news. Because if encouragement always depended on us having a level head and a clear thinking mind, some sharp reasoning skills, I think we would be in a real mess. Because discouragement, well, one of its effects, it often clouds our ability to think clearly. 
How reassuring then is it to be reminded that encouragement and comfort is ultimately something that the Spirit imparts to both our minds and our hearts. The Spirit can penetrate the fog of discouragement. And encouragement is something we can ask him for whenever we feel our needs. But the Spirit does still use means, of course. He uses tools. And one of the key tools he uses to encourage us are the Father's promises. Here's one of the main ways encouragement comes from our Heavenly Father. Hebrews 6 verse 17 tells us that God the Father makes his promises and promises to keep his promises so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. God's promises and his faithfulness to his promises are there to give us strong encouragement. They are a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls so that we won't get carried off or washed away by doubt and despair and discouragement. So encouragement comes ultimately, first of all, from God the Father by the Spirit. Secondly, encouragement comes in Christ. So in Philippians 2 verse 1, Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, and then he goes on, if there's any encouragement in Christ, he says, really what he's saying is surely we can all agree. And this is, he's writing to a sort of disunified church. He's trying to bring them together. And he's saying really, surely we can all agree there is a abundant encouragement in Christ. Encouragement in knowing and being known by Jesus. Encouragement in seeing Christ in all of his supremacy and sufficiency. Encouragement in being reminded of all that Christ has done for us. And encouragement in knowing where we now stand because of what he's done. Could there be anything more encouraging for a disheartened, discouraged soul than this? The knowing Christ and all the riches of his gospel. I wonder if you were encouraged as Nick uh, read from Ephesians 1 to us there just a few minutes ago as he stood up. He was reminding us of Christ, that we know him, that we have experienced and received the riches of his gospel. Knowing that in Christ we are loved by God, forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, reborn, reconciled, renewed and adopted into his family. With that last one, adoption, meaning especially that even in the trials of life that so tend to discourage us, actually God has ordained even those things to refine our faith and help us more deeply trust and treasure and find everlasting encouragement in his Son. Encouragement comes from God the Father. It comes in Christ. And thirdly, encouragement, it comes through us. Now, this one might surprise us. The importance of this one might surprise us this morning. Encouragement comes through us. All of that encouragement that's needed every single day by all manner of people around us, well, a large part of it is intended by God to actually get channeled through us into other people's lives. It is God's clearly revealed will and design that we as Christians would be the chief instruments of encouragement in this world. We're to be like the humble yet essential pipes and taps that bring water every day right into a person's home. I wonder if you've ever thought about the importance of uh, the role that pipes and taps play in your home. 
I, for one, take them for granted. They're, they're not the water themselves, are they? We all know that water is essential. We know we've got to have it to live. Um, it's essential to be able to wash and flush and drink and survive. We all appreciate the vital role of water. If we had to go a day without water, we would be desperately thirsty and in need. But where would we be if the water was just out there in the reservoir and not also channeled through pipes and taps into our homes? We would all be parched and thirsty and also uh, dirty and smelly. Pipes and taps, though not the source of the water themselves, not the water themselves, pipes and taps are still essential for getting water to us, into our daily lives. Now, we've already said that the ultimate source of all encouragement is God himself. He is the reservoir of encouragement. And yes, he could, if he wanted to, just beam encouragement straight down from heaven into our hearts with no need for pipes and taps in between. But that isn't the normal way he chooses to encourage us. All throughout the New Testament, there are these calls and commands for we as Christians to be like the pipes and the taps for one another. Serving one another with the encouragement that flows down from the reservoir of God through us to those around us. So, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, each and every believer is exhorted to Encourage one another and build one another up. Encouragement comes from God, but we're to encourage one another. And those, those words, repeated words, one another, they emphasize what a two-way street this is as well between all of us. It's one another going in all sorts of directions. Encouragement then is not just a thing that's to be left to the professionals. Not just to be left to the pastors or the counsellors or to the especially gifted encouragers. Uh, Some people might have a particularly special gift of encouragement and be able to use it in a more public or formal way. But we're clearly here in this verse, all of us called upon to support, care for, comfort and encourage each other. As are we also in uh, places like Hebrews 3 verse 13, which says, But exhort one another. Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And Hebrews 10 verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Healthy Christians and healthy churches can't exist, can't survive without a culture of encouragement. Churches and people perish when there is no longer any culture of one another encouragement between them. So we need each other for all sorts of things in the Christian life, but we especially need one another's encouragement. So then thirdly and finally, and this is really where I wanted to spend uh, the, the focus of our time this morning, On the practical, how do we encourage one another? How do we encourage one another? Uh, And I've got here seven ways that we encourage each other because I understand seven is the perfect number. And actually, it just came out that way, but we have seven. First of all, quite simply, we can meet together. We can meet together. We we just read uh, in that passage from Hebrews 10, which said... Not neglecting to meet together, 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is a great simplicity to this first one, which appealed to me. But actually, I think it might be the one that takes the most sacrifice and commitment from us. We're to encourage each other by not neglecting to meet together. So even before we open our mouths on a Sunday morning or or wherever we might be together, even before we open our mouths to speak, there is a massive dose of encouragement in simply seeing so many other brothers and sisters in the room with us. In seeing you and you and you and you and you all here together in one place to meet with and worship our Saviour. Which is another way of saying, let's not be too quick to skip church for other things. Let's instead each be asking ourselves the question, what is it that sometimes keeps me from meeting together, coming to meetings, meeting with other believers, whether it's a Sunday morning or home group or a prayer meeting or just some other gathering of believers, brothers and sisters together. Sometimes I think we tell ourselves, well, I'll get by okay if I don't go this week. I'll be okay. I won't be affected. Now, I'm not sure that's ever wholly true. I I think if meeting together is such an important and God-given means of encouragement and grace to us, then any time we're not meeting together, we're missing out on some of that means of grace. But okay, let's say, let's, let's just say it doesn't affect me personally. If I don't come to church this week to be encouraged, I, I tell myself I can get by fine this week. Uh, I'll just roll back over in bed and go back to sleep. But what does Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 say? It, it says we're to meet together with the purpose of encouraging one another, others. And that makes our all-morning lion, as attractive as it is, that makes that lion a bit more problematic. Because to neglect meeting together, especially on a Sunday, is potentially robbing other people of the encouragement they need through us, through us, first and foremost, simply turning up and being in the building. Now, of course, let me say, there are very legitimate and justifiable reasons not to be at church or or, or in meetings together when we gather as a church. Sickness is a hugely justifiable one and actually a good idea not to come spread whatever you've got. Uh, We might be injured. Holidays with some thought-out moderation are another good reason, and there are certainly other good reasons as well. But the important thing is we don't fall into the trap of thinking that turning up and being there is just this little thing that doesn't really matter. It really does. In many ways, it's the primary thing God calls us to do in order to minister encouragement to one another. Don't neglect to meet together. Harness the power of encouragement simply, first of all, by consistently turning up. That's the first way we encourage each other. That's a bit of a longer one, but that's the first one. The second way we can encourage each other is we can speak God's word to one another. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore encourage one another with these words. What words was Paul referring to in this case? He was referring to God's inspired words in the previous verses of his letter. Because there are no more powerfully encouraging words we could ever share with people than God's words found in the Bible. Now, of course, there is nothing wrong with discussing the weather or the football results or our daily activities in everyday conversation as well. In fact, that's a very 
natural and good part of our relationships, full already of many possible opportunities for encouragement. Although, please don't come and speak to me about the football. But of course, yeah, <laughs> it works both ways. You see, I will not be encouraged and, and you'll not be encouraged by the blank look on my face. But according to Romans 15 verse 4, it is through the encouragement of the scriptures that we are guaranteed to find hope. So if we want to encourage others, let's be sure to include sharing God's word with them. And one especially helpful way to do that, especially if the person you're sharing with is visibly discouraged or in need of comfort, is not to drown them in a whole host of verses or give them a 20-minute theological presentation on, on why they should feel comforted, but instead to find maybe just one piece of scripture, a single verse, a short passage, to share with them in that moment that in some way gives them hope and help in their present difficulties. So for someone who tells us they're feeling afraid, we might gently point them to Psalm 121 and even encourage them to meditate on and perhaps say aloud to themselves its first three verses, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let my foot be moved. He who keeps me will not slumber. Or for someone wrestling with doubts about whether God could really love them because of their battle with sin, we could lovingly point them to Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or for someone feeling abandoned or alone in a situation, maybe afraid of opposition from, from ungodly people, we might just include in our care for them a reminder of Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Oftentimes when someone shares their hurts or troubles with us, we can feel like it's all on us to know what to say to fix them, all on us to impart to them fresh hope, but we're not the source of hope they need. God is. And our job, our privilege, is to take them with us back to the God of all hope so that he might fill them again with all joy and peace in believing. And one key way we can do that is by giving them his word. The third way we can encourage each other is to, and I've got a slight typo on my slides here, is to point to God's presence and promises. You can point to his character as well, but I meant to write presence here. Point to God's presence and promises. Uh, sometimes we might act as if encouragement is given by bolstering someone's confidence in themselves, making a person feel better about themselves, more assured of their abilities to get through whatever it is they're going through. You can do this. I know you can. A words we might find ourselves sometimes even surprised, sort of unexpectedly um, pouring forth from our mouths. You can do this. You'll get through this. But that's really not what a discouraged person needs to hear. What they need to hear is that God is alive and well and mightily with them and that he can do all that needs to be done. And so it was said of Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer that he was often discouraged and so often was he discouraged in fact that his wife thought the only way to help him was to shock him out of it 
And so she put on a black dress and a veil as if she was going to a funeral. And when he asked her who had died, she said, Martin, haven't you heard? God has died. He replied, that is blasphemy. And his wife said, I, husband, and it is blasphemy for you to be living as if God is dead. Needless to say, Martin Luther snapped out of it. God is not dead. He is alive and well and mightily in control. And that is what we need to often say to one another, to remind each other of what he is like, of the glorious promises that the living God has made. Fourthly, we can remind each other of the gospel. We see this at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Romans. where, And this is really interesting. I don't know if you've spotted this before. Paul's writing to a church full of Christians. And he tells them he wants to visit them and strengthen them. Well, how's he going to strengthen a church full of Christians? He says, by coming and preaching the gospel to them. And they, and maybe we go, hang on, but they've already heard the gospel. They've been saved by the gospel. Why do they need more of the gospel? But it's because the way to further strengthen and encourage Christians is to remind them again and again of the gospel. And then Paul adds, Romans 1 verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Encouragement is given when Christians remind each other of the gospel. Mutual encouragement between one another. And um, I don't know if I've shared this before. Uh, I remember times of being wearied and discouraged when I was spending a year studying at Pastors College. Uh, and, and in these times, uh, many times, my friend Ben would just take me aside. He would look me in the eye and just lovingly remind me of the gospel. And, and he'd, he'd, so he'd look at me and he'd say something like this. He'd say, Matt, whatever else you're going through right now, Christ loves you. And he laid down his life for you. All your sins are forgiven and nothing is ever going to change that. You see, my friend Ben, he believed it and he wanted me to freshly believe it too. And he made it even easier for me to believe it too by personalizing it. Telling me how the gospel applied to me, that Jesus died for me. So often someone else telling us that is far more powerful and encouraging than just ourselves trying to tell us that. Fifthly, the Bible tells us we can pass on the comfort we've received. This is the fifth way to encourage each other. Pass on the comfort we've received. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, I think these verses could be applied in a few different ways. Sometimes we could offer encouragement and comfort to someone by directly referencing times when we ourselves have walked through afflictions and have experienced God's comfort and care. We could do that sometimes. Other times, though, it doesn't necessarily help to listen to someone's difficulties and respond with, oh, you think that's bad? You should just listen to what happened to me and how I got through it. Or even, even, I know what you mean, I went through something very similar last year but found God's comfort in it. That could be helpful Sometimes it's not the most helpful thing. But I think what Paul is really primarily saying here is that when in our own afflictions we experience God's comfort 
his heart of comfort towards us, when we experience his nearness and his tenderness, his patience, his listening ear, his loving care, when we've experienced that, our hearts are changed towards other sufferers as well. The best comforters and encouragers are not those with theology degrees, but those who've walked through afflictions and who have been met with divine comfort. Not because it necessarily gives us wiser answers, but because it truly gives us a more tender, loving, Christ-like heart for others, able to pass on the divine comfort that we ourselves have already received. Sixthly, six out of seven, we can recognize God's grace in people's lives. We can recognize God's grace in people's lives. Perhaps you've seen or heard about uh, the, the classic Peanuts cartoon. Peanuts is the one where Snoopy pops up sometimes. Uh, but it, this particular one opens with Linus curled up in a chair, quietly reading a book, while Lucy stands behind him with a funny look on her face. It's very strange, Lucy tells him. It happens just by looking at you. What happens, Linus asks. Lucy calmly answers, I can just feel the criticism coming on. If you're anything like me, you sometimes find it far easier to look at other people, even other Christians, and feel a criticism coming on rather than a word of encouragement. I've been reading a very encouraging book this week called Practicing Affirmation by a guy called Sam Crabtree, and it talks a lot about the importance of encouraging others with words of commendation, affirmation, and even praise. Now, perhaps we might feel a little bit uneasy about the idea of praising people. Aren't we meant to praise God and not people? Well, that's true if it's a choice between the two or the one is a replacement for the other. But what about praising people in a way that actually ultimately praises God? Could we not do that? Well, not only can we do that, we must do that in order to obey God's word. So, for example, the Bible commends the excellent wife, the excellent woman in Proverbs 31. And in fact, it explicitly says, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So to not praise a woman like that for her godly reverence is to disobey God's word. And as Sam Crabtree points out in his book, Jesus himself, the one to whom all praise and glory is due, he consistently praised and affirmed others. So he called his disciples salt and light. He said his listeners were more valuable than many sparrows. He commended the woman of great faith in Matthew 15. He commended the woman of ill repute for doing a beautiful thing in Mark 14. He marveled at the faith of the centurion in Luke 7. He commented on John the Baptist's greatness in Luke 7. He celebrated the generosity of the widow in Luke 21. John Piper writes, if God is sovereign and every good gift is from above, then not praising the good in others is a kind of sacrilege and soul sickness. When our mouths are empty of praise for others, it is probably because our hearts are full of love for self. It is good and right then for us to commend in others the good we see, especially in a way that points to the image and character of God in them, And in a way, wherever possible, that points to God's gracious activity in them. Such affirmation is good and it is right and it is also deeply encouraging. 
Just, just imagine being that woman of ill repute in Mark 14 who came into Simon's house to anoint Jesus' head with costly ointment. And we're told that a whole load of people in that room were scorning and scolding her because of her reputation. But Jesus, before them all, commended her for doing a beautiful thing. Or think of Paul writing to what was surely one of the most messed up churches in the New Testament, the church in Corinth. They had all manner of doctrinal error, divisions, immorality in their midst, which Paul would go on to correct. But he begins his letter to them very deliberately with God-centered affirmation. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So we're not talking about flattery here, but simply honoring God and stirring up another Christian's faith and gratitude for God's grace at work in their life. Again, it's deeply encouraging to other people when the reason we're looking at them with a searching eye is not to criticize them, but to search eagerly for evidences of grace in them, in their actions, in their words, in their attitudes and behaviors, and then tell them simply what we see. Uh, just as Nick did earlier on, thanking Pete for the food bank uh, and, then, and then encouraging Pete. This is a work of grace in Pete's life, his heart for the needy and an example for us. Now, one really helpful tip to get better at this, better at recognizing evidences of grace in other people's lives, is to make sure that we're really familiar with two lists. The list of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 6, and the list of... The gifts of the Spirit, which actually you can find in a few different places. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and a couple of other places too. Uh, C.J. Mahaney writes again in his book, Humility, which I mentioned a few weeks ago. When you become familiar with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and learn to recognize their manifestation, suddenly you will be aware that God is at work everywhere. Look anywhere, and you'll see evidences of God's activity Evidences of grace. What a joy and privilege it is to discern this activity in the lives of those we love and care for and to draw their attention to how God is at work in their lives. Regular, intentional words of affirmation, commendation, celebration of God's work in other people's lives is another thing, like gratitude was last week, that can utterly transform churches and families, marriages, parent-child relationships, and more. And uh, if you could get hold of it, you can borrow my, borrow my copy. Uh, I can't recommend highly enough the second and third chapters of this book by Sam Crabtree I mentioned. If you, particularly if you struggle with being more critical than encouraging in your relationships at home or at work or in the church. Seventhly and finally this morning, we can encourage one another as we pray with one another. Praying for one another when we're apart in separate places is obviously really important. It's good to commit to pray for one another. But I think there is a very special kind of encouragement to be found in praying with one another when we're together. Uh, how often, if you're anything like me, do you find yourself in a situation where after someone has just shared with you uh, their current challenges, fears, or struggles... You, you find yourself saying to them, oh, I'll be sure to pray for you. Oh, I'll be praying for you. Bye-bye. <laughs> we wander off. Not only do many of us, in the end, forget to pray later like we promised, 
But it's not nearly as encouraging to hear someone just say to us, they'll be praying for us, as it is to hear them say, let me pray for you now. Let me bring these things before our Heavenly Father in prayer right now. I had another friend uh, when I was away uh, studying in college, and any small need or concern I might share with him, his name was Andrew, any difficult or challenging situation I was going to, uh, Andrew would almost never fail to take a firm grip of my shoulder. He would bow his head right in front of me and pray for me. And oftentimes it was when I was struggling to pray for myself. Every believer, of course, now has the fullest access to the throne of grace in prayer. But it is sometimes so encouraging, especially when we are discouraged, to have another brother or sister who will just take us by the hand and lead us to the throne of grace as they pray for us. And in fact, that to me just seemed like the very best place to end. Let's do that together now. Let's go together to the throne of grace and pray and find God's grace to us. Father, we thank you for the precious gift of encouragement in our lives. Lord, how grateful we are that you are, by your very nature, the God of all comfort and all encouragement, and that you eagerly pour out your encouragement into our lives. Father, we thank you too this morning for the privilege and purpose you have bestowed on each one of us to be the means and deliverers of your encouragement to many other people in our lives. We pray, Lord, please help us to grow, to grow in your likeness by being more and more effective encouragers like you. And Lord, as we go on passing your encouragement on to each other, we pray that we would be built up, this church would be built up, our own faith and hope and joy would be built up that others would come wanting to know who is this saviour who gives such hope and encouragement into the lives of people uh, as unimpressive as us. So Lord, please continue to work in us in this way we pray. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.